when faced with a firing squad, most of us will welcome the blindfold. Who wants to stare horror in the face when there's nothing we can do to stop it? Whether it be climate change or nuclear Armageddon, the urge to look away can overwhelm us. But is that weakness? Or is it wisdom? Welcome to Creepycast, where bad things happen to sad people, where misery loves company, and where, in the background, the clock is always ticking. My name is Pather O'Gillian, author of The Call, which won awards, and the creator of many other works that did not. Today's story, The Madman's Ungrateful Child, originally appeared in a wonderful anthology called The Grim Future. That's grim with two M's. It featured great writers like Garth Nix and Shannon Maguire, and the point of it all was to write a science fiction story inspired by the marvels of the Brothers Grimm. My story is clearly set in the United States, but I won't, I can't, I dare not attempt the accents, okay? Lucky you. The Madman's Ungrateful Child Part 1 The Shelter In that land, after the apocalypse, inside a place called Bremen's Hill, there lived the happiest of madmen. Radiation mottled his skin, and brown stains by the thousand had stiffened his uniform into a wilderness that even fleas disdained. But his wide, wobbly smile rarely failed him, and his gleeful, booming voice ruined the girl's sleep, no matter how hard she clung to it. Wake up, Miranda! What will you have for breakfast, dearest child? Her real name was Alison. But what was that to a madman? Some mornings she replied with a groan, for the cold came even into the shelter. Other times she would answer, I'm not your child. You look nothing like me. This line would fluster him, and his eyes would lose focus for three, four, five seconds. Then he would laugh. Of course, my dear child, waffles it is. He would open a random can of beans or peaches or whatever he laid his trembling hands on and cry, Oh, that smell! He would slop out two portions and dig in, his eyes half-closed in ecstasy. That's how much the madman enjoyed waffles. Afterwards, he would go straight back to his bunk with the words, I think I'll work from home today. Then he'd just stare into space, smiling or frowning or wiggling his fingers in the air as though typing. It wasn't much of a life. 
but it was all that Alison had to look forward to. Until, that is, Mr. Donkey came along. Breakfast was no different that morning than any other. After clearing the plates, Alison picked out one of the shelter's thousands of old books, intending to read it outside. Where are you going? cried the madman. I hope you're not running away. Terrible things can happen to children who leave their parents, especially girls. Yes, Alison growled. I could be kidnapped by a madman, for example, and held captive for four years. He covered his mouth in horror. Oh, my Lord, that's even worse than what I was thinking. In spite of these words, he never noticed if she spent one hour above ground or ten. He never checked to see if she was getting irradiated or infected or swarmed by rats. Yet, his madman's intuition alerted him if she ever wandered past the base of the hill. He would arrive all flustered at the hatch with rifle in hand to urge her back to safety. On that special day, Alison climbed outside into sunlight. From the hilltop, she could see for miles in all directions. For the first time in years, long dormant seeds had become flowers. The world hasn't ended, she told herself, as much a fool sometimes as her captor. Mama is alive and waiting for me back home. There's Ben and Jerry's in the icebox. But over yonder, Mount Spindle still sported a crater where the city had been, and the wreckage of not one, but two passenger airplanes lay scattered about the valley below her like confetti. The madman was wrong to fear her running away, for where could she go? Alison set her book on a rock and washed her face in the freezing water of the well. She could have had it from a tap down below, but it felt so much better to scoop it over her head with her bare hands, shivering and laughing. But today, something smelled wrong. Below the hill lay a series of boulders that may have been rolled off the summit when the madman built his refuge. From behind these now rose a series of bizarre and terrifying creatures. They were made of fur and blood and flapping skin, with great mishappen heads. At the same moment, a change in the wind swept a cloying stench up the slope towards her, lodging in the back of her throat like a film of oil. Before she could flee, a voice cried, Don't be alarmed, we're friends. You, you're human? said Alison. Oh, indeed. He straightened up. A tall man, made even taller by the head of a donkey that he wore for a hat, while the rest of the pelt hung around him like a rotting cloak. Others stood now too. 
a woman wearing a dog. A man with lion skin that must have come from the zoo. A filthy child of indeterminate sex, plastered with chicken feathers. We're entertainers, said Mr Donkey. Actors, if you will, musicians even. The new world needs them too, am I right? And in exchange for a song, all we ask is five minutes to fill our flasks at your well. She's just a girl, said the dog woman. Were it not for the dirt, she might have been a model from an old magazine. Her hungry grin made Alison shiver. She's on her own, and that hatch is open. The woman clambered onto the boulders. But then, as though summoned, the madman appeared. He looked every bit as frightening as the beast people, with his burned skin, his ridiculous-looking glasses, and his rifle. Zombies! he cried. I love this game. Mr. Donkey pulled the dog woman down from the rocks to stand in front of him. My good sir, how lovely to see you. What my colleague was saying just now is that she wishes to sleep with a man just like you. A man who had the foresight to prepare for this little mess we're all in. Isn't that right, dear? That's right, she muttered. He looks real fine. Exactly, said Mr. Donkey. The woman you already have appears inexperienced. Amateur, am I right? All we ask is to use your well and maybe take a few cans of food. It's not too much, is it? Or, if you're lonely and who wouldn't be out here, you could come back with us to the airport. You could... Alison almost jumped out of her skin. The airport, she cried. Oh, sure, little miss. It's the only reason the rebels nuked our happy little backwater. To take out the airport. They hit everything else, but missed that completely. The madman, meanwhile, had not moved an inch. Apart from his hands, that is. They shook so badly it was a miracle he hadn't dropped the rifle already. Seeing this helplessness, the dog woman grinned. Let's just rush the bastard already. She wrenched herself free of Donkey's grip and ran up the slope. This turned out to be a mistake. Her head exploded, followed, a heartbeat later, by Donkey's and then the lion's. The chicken died too. And when five more men, previously hidden, suddenly appeared from behind the ridge, all of them met their end in less time than it took to blink. Headshots for zombies, the madman said happily. His hands still shook as his erratic gaze wandered the valley. No more waves, Miranda? he asked. No, said Alison. And that was the end of that. Game over. Except for two things. The first 
was that Alison saw Mr. Donkey crawling away. The madman's incredible aim had shattered the animal's skull, but not that of the man beneath. The other thing was that she had learned something vital. The airport still stood. Nothing else that had happened today mattered as much as that. Not the corpses, not the new flowers, nothing. That night, Alison mashed up a few sleeping pills from the supplies and dissolved them in water. Look, Papa, she said. I've brought you a glass of wine to help you sleep. The madman studied the liquid for a moment too long and shook his head. That's not wine. Alison's heart was hammering. What would she do if he didn't drink it? But then he grinned. That's champagne, he cried. For your birthday. Happy birthday, my girl. He clinked glasses. Hers was empty. And took a delicate sip. Oh, that is good. The next morning, passing the boulders, Alison turned to look up to the top of the hill. But the pills had worked and the madman's uncanny ability to sense her wanderings had failed to wake him. He wouldn't recognise her anyway, she thought. She had hacked off her own hair and had strapped down her breasts in order to pass for a boy. Bad things happened to those who ran away. Isn't that what he had said? Especially to girls. And hadn't Mama always told her the exact same thing? The entertainers lay where they had fallen. And there were older bodies too. Each skull bore a hole in the exact centre of the forehead. And Alison realised that the madman must have faced other attacks in the past. Maybe while she slept soundly in her bunk. She ought to have been curious of his impossible abilities. But all she wanted now was the airport. This was not the first time she had tried to find the place. She remembered her twelfth birthday. The TV showed nothing but panic, while frightened people clogged every stream on her tablet. Mama never came home from her job at air traffic control. She wouldn't, or couldn't answer her cell phone. Men shouted in the street. Somewhere nearby, glass shattered. Alison told the house to call her if Mama came home, and off she went. Mama would have been horrified. Never, never go out there by yourself. It was the one thing she and the madman had in common. On that day, the day the world changed, a bus lay burning at the stop. So Alison walked down onto the freeway her pace double that of the honking cars full of weeping children. Suddenly, everybody was screaming and clawing at their eyes as the sky behind Alison lit up. A giant fist smashed the road hard enough to send vehicles tumbling. She ran, she ran, but somewhere along the way, Mama's warning about the awful things that could happen to a girl alone proved to be correct because an ogre found her 
and carried her off. Let me go, she cried. I need to get to the airport. Mum is in trouble. She might as well have been punching concrete. He never paused, leaning into a sudden storm, sheltering her with his body from flying dust and stones until they came to the bunker in the hills. He let her go once the hatch was closed. His skin glistened with burns, and he wept like a child for Haley and Miranda, whoever the hell they were. The car! Oh my God, oh my God! The car! Oh Lord! It seemed the ogre had been expecting the apocalypse, looking forward to it even. But for all his years of preparation, he had failed to save his own family. With shaking fingers, he fished out a strange pair of glasses and pushed them on. What a weird contraption it was. Black and shiny, far too large for his head, yet the arms fastened onto him like those of an octopus clinging to its prey. Then, while Alison cowered in the corner, he spent a few minutes talking to himself. You, yes he said. Activate. Yes. He had been mad ever since. Now, as an older girl with darkness falling, she crouched at the airport's chain-link fence. She had expected planes, but the lone runway boasted nothing larger than an overturned ambulance. In the distance, Tiny people wandered around campfires. The sight of them quickened her breath. She had expected to die with nobody for company but a filthy lunatic, and the urge to approach them, no matter who they were, no matter how dangerous, came close to overwhelming her. However, something even more important lay at the edge of the runway the control tower. Alison worked her way over and snuck inside. It was not her first visit. Mama had taken her in one time, up in the elevator, every surface bright and clean. This time, she climbed the stairs in the pitch dark, saving the batteries of a flashlight borrowed from the shelter. Mama would have left a message for her child. Surely she would. And Alison would need the light to find it under all that dust. So, she mastered her impatience and did not flick the switch on until great big windows told her she had made it into the control room. And there, before her, were the new swivel chairs Mama had boasted about. Each supported a uniformed skeleton with a gaping hole in its chest. It might not be her, Alison thought, looking at the central figure, the only woman. But hope crumbled when her flashlight played over a tattered hummingbird scarf that she would have recognised anywhere. No, she cried, no! Then... There were footsteps on the stairs and a stench of rotting fur. And now 
Now the girl realised how foolish she had been. But it was too late. Part 2. The Duke In the small arrivals hall, they chained Alison behind a cage of luggage trolleys. It gave her a front row view of the feast. And what a feast it was. A great fire of old books roared in the centre of the floor, where men and women, wearing the corpses of animals, danced around it for the amusement of a giant in a high chair. They were every bit as crazy as her supposed papa, except that she had been safe with him, and here they would likely eat her. Alison recognised the giant as a wrestler from TV. The Duke, they had called him, and now he lived up to that name. Beneath his throne lay a thousand rusting food containers and bottles of every description. Women sat at his feet, half-clothed and so miserable they made Alison glad she had dressed as a boy. Every now and again, the women would present their leader with meat from a platter. He would fling it away with a cry, I want peaches! I want the madman's peaches! Further offers of food only increased his fury until at last he shouted, Bring me the prisoner! Alison thought her time had come, but it was Mr. Donkey they dragged forth, and not her. You promised to get me the madman's peaches, but you failed. It's impossible, Mr. Donkey replied, his head hanging low, his knees knocking in fear. We couldn't even get close. He's like a demon. You know that, Duke. you got to know that by now. The Duke did not know it. String him up, he commanded, and other men also wrestlers by the look of them, hanged Mr. Donkey then and there while the court cheered. Then, with the corpse still warm, the Duke stood and everybody fell silent. Even the fire seemed to burn lower in anticipation. Listen now, he called. Listen, that madman has cans of fruit in his lair. Fruit, you hear me? Any man here gets it for me, can have my women and be leader when I die. And that would not be long, for a red growth the size of a fist clung to his neck. Who will step forward? Nobody volunteered. The men, so rowdy only moments before, all smiles and shouts, now shuffled away from the light. He made the offer a second time, producing a gleaming machine gun. Do I have to shoot somebody to get my peaches? Do I? Holes in the wall proved he had done so before. One last time. This is my third and my final. I'll do it, Alison shouted. The purple growth stopped the Duke from turning his head properly so he had to move his whole massive body around to face her. A boy, he sneered. A little boy. Oh, I don't think so. You just don't want to be dinner. Earl? 
put a bullet in his face. Alison should have been terrified, but she kept her voice perfectly calm. She said, the madman lives on a hill fifteen miles to the north. Earl, nearly as big as his master, and wearing the rotting skin of a cow, had passed the fire by now and had drawn his pistol. There is a fresh spring and 14,000 cans of beans, 17,000 cans of tuna. Earl removed the safety and aimed it right at her face. He has stored up tinned pears, strawberries, peaches and grapefruit. He grows his own tomatoes and... Earl, stop! The Duke stepped down from his throne and ran over to her, knocking dancers from his path. He pulled Alison out of her cage of trolleys, and so strong was he that one massive hand around her neck was enough to hold the weight of the trolleys aloft along with hers. He was choking her, but she knew that to give in to terror or tears would be the end of her. I know how to get past him, she said. The madman, I know everything about him. The duke kept her dangling for a moment. Then he grinned. Everybody, meet my new heir. They applauded. And later, when the duke said he would lead the expedition himself, cheers rang around the hall, but some such as Earl, seemed angry. Part 3 The Trick The next day, Alison guided a party of 15 ex-wrestlers and the Duke himself cross-country towards the shelter. Great, said Alison brightly when it came into view. She had spent the whole night in terror the giants would kill her, or discover she was a girl. But she knew a display of courage was the only thing that might keep her alive. There's the hill. She turned to the Duke. Now, I'll get you your peaches. Did you really mean it when you said I would be your heir? I sure did, he said. Alison nodded, pretending to believe him but knowing he didn't really care what happened after he was gone. She made herself smile. None of your men can stop me anyway, because I'll have the madman's miraculous rifle, the one that never misses. I'll go and get it right now. You won't believe how easy it is to trick him. She made, as if to leave, but Earl stopped her, grinning slyly. So... How are you going to trick him, boy? Oh, it's simple. See those boulders at the bottom of the hill? When we get close to them, the madman will appear out of the hatch. Then he'll call us zombies. But he won't shoot until somebody gets a bit closer. All I'll do is clap my hands three times once I've passed the rocks. He thinks it's a password, you see. Now, off I go to get my reward. But before she could advance a single step, Earl threw her to the ground and ran forward in her place. Just as she had predicted, her papa 
jumped out of the hatch before the wrestlers had reached the boulders. Zombies, he cried. Earl clapped his hands three times. You're supposed to do it after the rocks, shouted Alison, as though in despair. It was too late. Earl made it to the bottom of the slope, but his brains did not. I can't believe it, said Alison. It's so easy. Let me just... A second wrestler, this one wearing the remains of a horse, pushed her aside. The man waited until he had passed the boulders before smacking his palms together. But before he could manage the feat a second time, his ears hit the ground, moving in opposite directions. It was an incredible shot by the madman. He hadn't even been looking when he pulled the trigger. I love this game, he cried. A third hero, with arms like tree trunks, had to die before the duke tiring of the weight, gave Alison her chance. She swaggered off, as she imagined a young man would, aware of the duke's narrowed eyes on her back and the itchy trigger fingers of the twelve surviving wrestlers. But the greatest threat by far stood waiting for her on the top of the hill. What if the madman failed to recognise her with her hacked-off hair and her clothing all torn? She clapped three times in the appropriate place, but only to convince the men at her back it meant nothing to the madman. But step by step, her confidence grew until halfway up the slope he shouted, Miranda, I knew it was you. Thank you, thank you for bringing zombies. He ran down to meet her. The duke must have realised he'd been fooled and the madman coming down the slope had put himself in range of the wrestlers' inferior guns. They opened fire. Alison threw herself to the ground as bullets whizzed everywhere. But the madman, the happy madman, danced. He knew exactly where to step to avoid enemy fire, when to lean back, when to duck. His rifle spat too ridiculously fast, every shot finding the exact centre of a wrestler's forehead until silence reigned once again. Here, Miranda, he said gently, let Papa help you up. For the first time ever, when he hugged her, Alison hugged him back. I'm sorry, she said. You've been so good, but I had to... I had to find Mama. I... There, there, my poor child. He had both arms around her, and probably that's why he failed to get his rifle up in time. For the evil duke had hidden behind a boulder when the rest of his men had stood up to fire. The madman must have seen him rise to his feet. He threw Alison to one side, aimed, shot. But even as he hit his mark, Blood bloomed over his heart, and he struck the ground hard enough that a stone knocked the glasses from his face. Papa, cried Alison. Oh, Papa! She had brought this about, she had done this, with her ingratitude, and she realised now 
that he had never kidnapped her all those years ago. That had been a rescue, pure and simple. And for all his strange ways, this man had kept her alive ever since. Blood dribbled from his mouth. He squinted up at her. Who? he said. Who the hell are you? I'm... I'm Miranda, your daughter. What? You... you look nothing like me. She dragged him inside, but already his eyes were turning cloudy. Her heart felt empty. She had lost everything, even the madman. Now, his ridiculous glasses lay on the floor, looking as lonely and out of place as she felt. Alison wasn't sure what made her try them on. Was it loneliness? Curiosity? Or something else? Perhaps it was the slight warm glow they emitted, like they were trying to attract attention. They fit her smaller head far more snugly than they should have. Had they shrunk? Was such a thing even possible? Then her scalp prickled all along the length of the frame, as though needles had grown from it and had burrowed straight into her skull. But she felt no fear, only an odd sense of comfort. She opened her eyes, and the madman surprised her by sitting up and stretching. Wow, he said, that was close. I thought I was a gunner for sure. Alison cried out in delight, for she too had thought him dead. She moved as if to hug him. No, Miranda, or Alison, as I should call you. It, it's all right. My madness is cured now, and I know you're not my daughter. Poor Miranda is out there somewhere, and I must go and find her. Don't go, Alison said. I went looking for my mamma too, and... and... The madman smiled. It's all right, Alison. Your mother's not dead either. That was a stranger's skeleton you saw in her chair. Look, here she comes now. It didn't occur to Alison to ask how he had known what she had seen in the traffic control tower. Instead, the girl cried out in delight as her mother, smiling and weeping with joy, climbed down the stairs to hug her. All the while, Alison wore the madman's glasses, and for the next few days, everything was wonderful. They had glorious feasts together, ice cream and waffles and anything they desired. They watched their favourite TV shows and went shopping for the perfumes Mama loved so much. Yet, Alison was stronger in spirit than the madman had ever been, and so when she had recovered a little from the awful things she had seen, she made herself remove the glasses. Despite the needle-like tendrils that had grown into her skull, they came away easily. The madman's corpse had begun to smell, she saw, and needed burying. The glasses couldn't help with that. 
but they knew where to find a shovel amongst all the supplies, and where on the hill the soil could be most easily shifted. They also knew how to read the sensors hidden under the boulders for the detection of intruders, and they could work, she learned, with a targeting system in the madman's rifle. Alison wept again for her mamma. Don't bring her back, she told the glasses. I don't want her if she's not real. But nor did she wish to live alone. So, the next day, she put the glasses back on and secured the rifle to her shoulder, and off she went back towards the airport. Perhaps terrible things would happen to her, a girl going into the world alone like that. Or perhaps she was the terrible thing and it was the world that needed to watch out. But Alison was determined to be happy. And even in that land, after the apocalypse, such a thing might still be possible. The End So there we are. That's episode seven. And as always, if you feel like leaving me an absolutely stunning review somewhere, uh, iTunes would be a good place. That would be fantastic. Or if you'd like to buy my collection of short stories, Forever in the Memory of God and other stories, that would be amazingly good. Or if you would just like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the call YA. Or if you would like to sneak down my chimney in a month or so, it's nearly Christmas, and maybe leave a few presents, that would be great. All good stuff. All good stuff. In the meantime, have a great week, and hopefully I'll be back soon with more. Thank you for listening. Bye.